Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us to honor and glorify our Lord and Savior. Good morning. My name is Tim here in the Worship Center in the Nickel Hall, and we're going to continue our series entitled Great, looking at the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. I invite you to join me at Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to read starting from verse 36 this morning. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, sorry, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Have you ever wanted to ask God a question? Like if you were face-to-face -face with him, like sitting across the table from him. Isn't there question, questions that you'd like to ask him? When I think of God and, and if he exists, and I believe that he does, and he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, unstoppable. When I think of the God that I read about in Scripture, in the Bible, and I see what he's done for me as we looked at in the month of January and February here, that He's blessed me and you who are followers of Jesus with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When I think about his greatness and the great things that he's done for me, like I want to think about how do I live in response to such greatness? How do I give a great response to all of that? My question would be something along the line, God, how do I live? And the answer that, to that question would very much matter to me. When we look at the encounter here in Matthew chapter 22, we have someone basically asking that question for us. God, how do we live? Or in other words, what is the greatest commandment? Now when the lawyer asked this question, he wasn't necessarily asking it from the right motives. He maybe didn't even realize or understand that Jesus was God across the, you know, the table from him, that he was talking to the Son of God. But sometimes it's nice to be in a classroom where someone else is asking the question for you, and he asked this most important question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? When Jesus answers him with the first part of his reply, I think we would pretty much expect what Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. I mean, when we think of God's greatness and how amazing he is, that would make sense. He should be worthy of anything that we could give, all of our worship, all of our love. He would be worthy of that, and, and we would expect that in Jesus' reply. What we would not expect is what Jesus says next. Jesus' great addition. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, and something else. If you look at Jewish history and you, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you realize what Jesus has first summarized when he talks about the great commandment. It goes back to what's called the Shema. Jews today, still today, repeat part of the Shema. Uh, as the Shema is repeated as part of their daily prayers, both in the morning and the evening. And part of that Shema, which means to hear, goes right back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, 
Listen, Shema, O Israel. The Lord, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And, and, and they were to teach them to their children. They were to talk about these, these things when they rose up in the morning, when they walked, when they sat. This was to be all-consuming. And, and, and so we would, we would expect that Jesus would say something like this. Another part of the Shema happens a couple of chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 11 where it talks about when they do love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, how God's going to come and bless them. He's going to bless them with the early and latter rains. Their crops are going to do well. Their wine's going to do well. Their oil is going to do well. Their livestock is going to do well. They are going to be full because they've lived out this great commandment of God. And so it's so important to a Jew both then and, in, and today, the Shema. We would expect Jesus would refer to something like that when he talks about what is the greatest commandment. But then Jesus adds something to it. He says, you shall also love your neighbor as yourself. This is amazing. The great commandment to love God with all that we are Jesus adds to it. Um, Scott McKnight, who's written a, book, written a book called Jesus Creed, talks about like how audacious this is. You think of like hundreds of years reciting, praying this Shema, and Jesus comes along and has the audacity to, to put something beside it that he says is just like it. It's equivalent to it. it it's mind-boggling when you think what Jesus is doing. Along with loving God, we are to love one another. Love your neighbor. There's a great inequity between those two objects when you think about it this morning. So I grew up and uh, raised our kids for a while in Vancouver. And where we lived, uh, we had small backyards. And there were two dogs in our neighborhood, one yard right beside each other, small lots. The one dog, his name was Escher. He was a black Newfie. You can Google it if you want. Um, beautiful, big, mangy black hair. They look like lions, only with black hair. Absolutely beautiful dog. Beside Escher's little lot was another dog named Zach. You can Google ugly dog, and you will come up with something that looks like Zach. Uh, a Heinz 47. Um, uh, it's hard to describe. Zach had an underbite. Every time I saw Zach, I wanted to send him to a dentist. Um, and he had scrag. He didn't have this beautiful, long, mangy hair. He had this scraggly hair. And um, Escher was easy to love. Zach, not so much. Escher, our postman, would sneak around the back alley and give Escher treats because Escher was, was easy. He was worthy. You could, like he just oohed. You wanted to love him. Zach, not so much. One day, the owner of Zach said to me, you know, I've noticed the postman. He brings Escher treats, but he doesn't bring Zach anything. I don't think he sees Zach. That was her conclusion. Well, I bit my tongue. I thought, no, I don't think that's it. You see, one was so lovable, so, so you just wanted to, to, to love. The other was difficult. Jesus says, 
something that is so obvious to us. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, body, soul, and mind. When you think who he is, his greatness, what he's done for us. Well, of course we should do that. But love our neighbor as ourself? We're a bunch of Zacks. Really? Scripture uh, says, Jesus says, this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. The, in Gingrich, the, the, uh, a Greek resource, it says that word there is saying is as powerful or is equal in importance. I don't know about you, but to me, this is a wow. That God so loves you and I in our humanity that he would equate loving one another, loving our neighbor for his sake, as important as loving him. Wow. And you see this central to the message and the way of Christianity. Like where did we get this idea that we should be kind to one another, that we should look out uh, after the needs of one another? Where did we get that from? How did that, uh, how did that occur in society? Love your neighbor as yourself. Where do we get that moral sort of underpinning that it's wrong for, for somebody to do evil to another? Like the recent tragedy that we've seen in New Zealand. Where do we get the, 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 the knowing that somehow that's wrong? Because God's hardwired into us. That we should love, we should care for one another because he's a God who loves us. We see this all throughout the Christian message and, and the way of Christianity and, and this radical addition echoes through the New Testament. In Romans chapter 13, Paul lists some of the uh, horizontal laws of, of the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. And he goes through them. He says, all of this is, can be summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. You read in Galatians where Paul talks about how the law, this law of loving your neighbor... As yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in that. In James, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, this is like the supreme law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do really well. It repeats, it repeats, it repeats how important this is to loving God that we love our neighbors also. This week, I, I, as I tend to do sometimes, I ask people, if you were speaking on this passage of Scripture, like what would you talk about? What, what would you say? Because it's so familiar to us, right? What, so how would you address it? And, and in talking with one person, I uh, said, well, I would get people to contemplate for five minutes where they are loving their neighbor right now. You see, he, along with me, agreed that loving your neighbor is a practice it's not a platitude. It's something you do. It's not something you put on a poster on your wall. It's something we, we put into motion, activity. And it's not always easy. In, in Luke's gospel, when, when Jesus is, is uh, quoted as, as giving the great commandment and the second like it, uh, the lawyer 
wants to defend himself, and so he asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? And what follows is the story you're probably most familiar with, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story, what we see is that a, a person is robbed, and they're, they're thrown down as half dead, and a, a priest walks by and, and, and just keeps going, and a Levite walks by, an assistant to the priest, and just keeps going. And, and that story forever has been embedded in my heart. So whenever I'm driving, and I see somebody, you know, broken on the side of the road, I'll, I'll often turn off. To the, I don't want to be that priest, you know, that minister that walks by and just go, keeps going. Sometimes I'll, I'll have gone like two, three, four blocks a mile. Oh, turn the car around and go back. And, and it can lead to interesting and helpful conversations. But what we see in that story is loving your neighbor is, is it's inconvenient. It's messy. And it's costly. And so this friend, this person I was talking to, when he said we should reflect on it for five minutes and see where are we loving our, your neighbor as ourselves. And he said, because, and he said, can you say this to your church? We know this, but we don't do it. We know this, but we don't do it. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India. And he had a conversation with Gandhi. And uh, he asked Gandhi, you know, how could Christianity make more inroads into his country? And, and Gandhi said, you know, if you Christians and missionaries, if you would just all live a lot more like Jesus, that would make all the difference. Now, what's interesting about that is if you talk to people who are from India, I've been told recently, they don't necessarily esteem Gandhi. Because in, in many of their minds, he also was a hypocrite. He also didn't live up to some of the platitudes that he professed. Brennan Manning, who uh, wrote the book Ragamuffin Gospel, said the greatest single cause of atheism, that is non-belief in a God, in our world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now there can be all kinds of reasons why we don't love our neighbor. We're, we're, we're busy. We're self-preoccupied uh, with self. We're, we're just trying to keep our own lives above the water. We're struggling with all kinds of things ourselves. It can be, it can be difficult to get our eyes off ourself and love one another. But what I've found is that when we do that, even when we're going through difficult circumstances ourselves we find that our own lives somehow become replenished. We, we somehow fill up with, with good stuff when we give out of even our weakness or even our difficulty. Now, in this conversation with this person, I have to admit I'm not near as cynical as he is because, I mean, I think about some of the conversations I've had with people in this church over the last year and some of you that I've watched and what you're doing and some of you are loving your neighbor and you're doing it well. But here's the thing. Whether this morning as we talk about these words of Jesus and, and you find yourself thinking, well, I... I I'm really not loving my neighbor anywhere. Or whether you're here this morning and you know that, you know, I'm well on the road to that. I believe that the words that Jesus have to say to us this morning still need to be heard. Because I believe no matter who you are, here this morning, there's more love in you to give. How do I know that? 
if, if we look at the early church, and we see after Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he poured out his spirit and, and the church began to form and, and they began to share this great news of, of Jesus Christ. And in that, God called a persecutor of the church named Saul to, to the mission field. He called Saul to be on mission with God. And, and so God apprehended him. Saul's life was radically changed, committed his life to Jesus. His name is changed to Paul. And Paul traveled with this great news of Jesus Christ. And wherever he went, people gave their lives to Jesus and churches were formed. And Paul so loved those churches that when he was removed from them, he would write them letters. And those letters, many of them we now have and are kept as part of the New Testament Bibles that we read. One of those letters is the letter to the Thessalonica church. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to this church and he writes to them, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, part of his team. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now here's, listen to what he says to them. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul thinks of them, he, he, he thinks about these good things. Like these people are laboring in love. They're giving themselves to love one another. Verse 6, I mean, he commends them. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, provinces in which, around which they lived. So imagine in, today, if Paul was writing to your church or to this church, the Church of Central Heights, and he wrote to us, he'd be saying, wow, you guys are a movement. I mean, I hear about your faith, your hope, and your steadfast love. You know what? We hear about it throughout the provinces of Canada, what you are doing. God is doing amazing things in you. Wow, what a commendation. And yet look what Paul writes to them later in his letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing. Way to go church. You are living it out. You're loving each other. You're loving your neighbor. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But, 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 we urge you, brothers. This is not just like a, and by the way, but we urge you, brothers, sisters, to do this more and more. I'm going to do something that you may not like this morning. Uh, some of you in Nickel Hall, uh, it's okay if you, if you can't do this. Um, but I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. If you just stand for a moment, it'll be good for your bodies, your thinking, all that. I'm going to ask you to stand. And now I'm going to ask you if you would just take a moment and reach high. Could you? Could you please reach high? Look at that. Beautiful. Now, can I ask you to reach higher? Look at that. Some of you got, can I ask you now to really go for it and really reach high? Come on. Yeah. Way to go. You can be seated now. 
Our executive pastor, Rod Adrian, did, did that with our staff once. And, and we realized that, you know, when we can be reaching high, but there's more. There's actually more that we can do. We often hold back a reserve. There's more that we can give. And it's in you to give. So that was probably good. It got the blood flowing through your body. So why not talk about blood, right? Have you heard of the Canadian Blood Services and their tagline? What is it? It's in you to give, right? And so when you give of your blood, and I don't know if you've, if you've done this, but when you give of your blood, um, it is not a uh, zero-sum game. In other words, you have approximately, what is it, 10 pints of blood in your body. When you give a pint of blood... You're not going to live the rest of your life with nine pints. That's not how it works. You see, you have a, a, a self-supply within you. So when you give of your blood, apparently this is how it works. Your, your kidney, first of all, realizes that you're lacking oxygen. So it creates a protein, which is chain reaction, uh, a protein which sends messages, which works with uh, stem cells. And, and the next thing you know, your body is working to create more red blood cells. Your, your plasma is replenished within 48 hours, and your red blood cells are replenished within four to eight weeks. The blood is, in a sense, in that way, it's in you to give. It's not as... Zero-sum game where, where you lose. You lose by giving. No. Now, I look at that and I think about us as Christians. And I want to tell us this morning that love is in you to give. If we look at 1 John chapter 3, in just a couple of verses, it says this. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he has commanded us, right? Like he's, he's commanded the lawyer. He said, this is what you need to do. Love one another. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. There's this, there's this abiding that's going on when we love our neighbors as ourselves. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. The, the word says the Holy Spirit sheds abroad God's love in our hearts. So here's what happens. Is, as we just obey God, as we love our neighbor as ourselves. God who is love, God who loves us first, God who abides in us and we abide in him. And this, this, John says, is especially true as we obey his commandment, as we love one another, as you step out and you reach out to love your neighbor, what happens? You're abiding with the source of love. Do you think it's a zero-sum game? Do you think you got less to give when you give? No, you find yourself, your capacity increasing as God works in you and as love flows, flows through you. It's in you to give. And that is so important to know as we go back to Matthew chapter 22 now and we look again at Jesus' commandment. The lawyer asked him, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your your mind, your strength, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty high standard. Love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture is really big on helping us to understand who we are in God, what he has made us to be. But nowhere do we see scripture encouraging us to love ourselves like we need to know better how to love ourselves. What we need to know is to, is to know who God has made us to be and to love him. 
The scripture assumes that you are going to love yourself. And now Jesus tells us we need to love others, our neighbors, as we naturally love ourselves. How do we do that? How do we love ourselves? Uh, you know, I think you probably had a roof over your head last night. You probably woke up this morning and, and made sure you had a meal. You, you, you made sure you could clean up a little bit, put some clothes on. Um, you took care of the basic needs of your life. Are there people in this world who, who don't have the basic needs of life? Loving our neighbor then, to love them as ourselves, would, to look, would be to look, how can we make sure that everybody in our city, in our community, in our world, how can everybody have at least the basic needs of life? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do I love my, how, beyond that, how do I love myself? Well, to be honest with you, it, I'm constantly thinking about myself. And you are too. It just, it's just natural. And, and we think about how can our life be better? How can, you know, how can I get a better education? How can I advance myself in my, in my job? How can I have more peace? How can, I, how can I have more great relationships? How can I experience more joy? How can I have more adventure? Like we're always asking these questions and thinking how we can make life better for ourselves. To love our neighbors ourselves is to think about them too. And, and how can I increase someone else's Fulfillment, they're flourishing in life. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? And it's about to get higher. Because we read in John's gospel that Jesus raised it. You see, the lawyer had asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He's, he, Jesus is picking out of the Old Testament. But Jesus says in John chapter 13, after he's washed the disciples' feet and he's going to go to the cross, knowing what he's going to do for his disciples, he says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? As yourself? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another in this way. What an amazing standard. Now when I think about how Jesus has loved me, that takes it to a whole nother realm. How did Jesus love us? Completely? Sacrificially? The scripture says he died for us while we were yet his enemies. Do you have any enemies in your life? Do you have anybody that sort of is outside of your tribe, outside of your group, and you find that group or that person hard to love? Our world right now is filled with tribalism. It's filled with building walls and borders. And not just po po politically. We do this socially. We, we're building walls and borders. We're trying to keep others out because we want to keep our lives safe and calm and peaceful within. And yet we find Jesus who loved us, each one of us, loved the world, all inclusive. Every person and he tells the story of a good Samaritan so that the Samaritan, the most unlikely person, could be the hero to show if he can be the hero, then surely the Samaritan to a Jew can be an object of the Jew's love just as surely a Muslim to a Christian can be the object of a Christian's love. Jesus raises it all to a higher standard. 
Love your neighbor as I have loved you. That's impossible. I'll tell you straight up right now, that's impossible if you try to do this in your own strength and just grit your teeth and, okay, I hear the commandment and I'm going to do it. But that's the beauty of what Jesus came to do. He came to do it in and through you so that as, as, as you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's not just about a, a moral goodness. It's about a relationship with God in which he becomes the source, the replenishing source of love and satisfaction. And that is that as you experience him and his Holy Spirit lives inside of you and sheds the love of God abroad in your heart, you just, you just got to share it. And God strengthens you and empowers you to do that. Love. God is the standard, but God is the source. In the last little while, I've been reading a book called Unlikely. And it's about the story of the church at large in Portland, Oregon. So not that far from us. So often we hear stories and we go, oh, it's so far away. It could never happen here. The book is called Unlikely because it began to really materialize in 2008 where a group of, of evangelical Christians, leaders, evangelical meaning they believe that you need to share the good news of Jesus Christ and people need to repent of their sins and embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they're not just Christians who want to do good works. They want to proclaim Jesus. These kind of people got together with the leadership in their city and somehow worked out a relationship of working together. What made this remarkable was that the mayor at that time was an openly gay mayor. And they talked and they worked without compromising their views and beliefs. They talked and they decided to work together. And in the book Unlikely, the foreword is written by the previous mayor, who in his own words says, yes, uh, this was so unlikely, and uh, he said, you know, I got calls from other cities, like, are you guys really doing this? But he said, our city was better for it. Amazing. I look at the vision statement of our church here at Central Heights Church, and you know, if you're from another church somewhere, I hope, I hope this stirs up a vision for you and your community of faith. But in our church, we talk about we want to be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus. We believe that's the key ultimately, that, that if we love people, the most loving thing we can do is introduce them into a, a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And we see the church is so important to that. So we want to develop healthy churches. But, but part of what God, we believe God wants to do in and through us is, is bring him glory for the flourishing of our city and the world. In other words, even if everybody doesn't commit their life to Jesus Christ the way we would like it to, our very presence in the city should cause this city to flourish. Our presence in the world should make a difference. For the glory of God, because we are loving God with all our heart, our soul, our body, our minds, all our strength, but we're also loving our neighbor as ourself. No, beyond that, we are loving our neighbor as Jesus loved us. Well, I want to commend some of you this morning 
um, as I was thinking about the stories that I know of and that I've heard of people in Central Heights, I, I thought of the group that went to Iraq in July, you know, not just hearing about how people are, are suffering there, but actually going there to be with them and to share in their stories and to, to love on them and, and to know that when they came back, it wasn't a zero-sum game, but they were probably just as blessed, if not even blessed more, by going there and planting themselves there. I think of some of the women in our church who go to Jackson School and, and on a reading program read with little kids so that they can flourish in their reading. I think of those who are part of the breakfast program at the school next door here, Jackson School, helping kids to flourish by having a good breakfast in the morning. I think of our women's programs and all the things that they do. Man, it's just amazing what goes on through people here in this church. A drop-in center on Thursday. Let's talk where we have women and, and men now helping others who are newer to, to Canada to learn the language, the native tongue of English, which comes so easily for so many of us, but to help them learn a language which is so key to their flourishing here in our city, in our community. We could go on and on and on. I want to commend you, but then I want to remind us of these words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the Thessalonian church. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love another, one another. For that indeed is what you are doing, so many of you. But, but we urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, love your neighbor as Jesus loved you more and more and more. And God's Holy Spirit will be with and in you to make it happen. So Lord, this morning we come before you in prayer and response. And we, we want to live lives, Lord, that reflect your greatness. Lord, the great ways in which you have loved us, satisfied us, met with us, made provision for us, Lord, and live within us. And God, we pray that as you love the world, so we would also love the world, Lord. And want to see it flourish and prosper. And see people, Lord, come under the rule and reign of you, our King, so they can experience the benevolent love of a God who loves us so much that he would give himself for us. Lord, would you help us in whatever sphere, in whatever capacity, to give ourselves away. Wherever you're inviting us into, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.